Amen. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, You'll find that on page 1008 in the Black Pew Bible. Again, let me welcome back returning students. And if you're visiting tonight, especially, thank you for coming. I'd love to greet you after the service. At Redeemer, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Through it, God speaks to us. He still speaks. And so we aim to hear Him each week. Last week, we looked at the faith of Moses' parents and Moses himself, faith-facing fear. We're in a section on faith in Hebrews 11. They faced many fears, the fear of man, but they feared God, which is the beginning of wisdom. Tonight, we look at the faith of Israel and the faith of Rahab. In Hebrews 11, beginning at verse 29. And tonight we see faith despairs of self. Faith despairs of self. Let me invite you to consider this from the Word of God, Hebrews 11. We'll begin our reading at verse 29. This is the Word of God. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Amen. This is God's word. May you write it on our hearts. Let's look to him together in prayer. Father in heaven, be our teacher. Speak to us through your word. May it bring joy to the heart. Uh, May it enlighten the eyes of our heart and the knowledge of Christ. May it give uh, wisdom, we pray, and hope. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The author here turns to the very core Old Testament events, saving events, the exodus and the conquest of Canaan. And in them we see the impotence of people and the intervention of God when faced with either impending destruction or an impossible task or judgment for disobedience, faith is despairing of self. Faith trusts the miracle and might and mercy of God. You see that here at the sea, verse 29, with the Israelites. And then you see it again before Jericho and its walls in verse 30. And you see it uh, like Rahab did at verse 31. And so let me highlight three things tonight, three lessons we learn. In the first place, verse 29, with Israel at the Red Sea, we see God's people are impotent to rescue themselves from destruction. Faith embraces that. 
Verse 29, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Now, the writer is referring to Exodus chapter 14, when the Israelites were going through the Red Sea. They faced two dangers, Pharaoh's army behind and the Red Sea ahead. You don't think it's dangerous. Look what happened to the army of Pharaoh. The army behind them sought to destroy them. The sea before them pinned them in. They had no way to escape. They couldn't beat the chariots of Pharaoh. They'd been slaves in Egypt. They just escaped with the clothing on their backs and the bones of Joseph they brought out of Egypt and the bling that the Egyptians had passed on to them. These were not warriors with chariots. And they couldn't swim across the Red Sea. They're stuck and destruction is bearing down on them. Now, why are they at that sea and in that tight spot? Because God led them there by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He actually brought them right to the edge of that sea where they had no escape at least that they knew of, where they needed to despair of themselves, but not despair of God, but to trust Him. The writer here, in speaking of by faith they crossed the Red Sea, is, we might say, being pretty charitable towards them. If you recollect the story of Exodus chapter 19, or chapter 14, I should, I should say, because you might read it and ask, well, where exactly is faith? If you turn to Exodus chapter 14, verses 11 and 12, they're at the Red Sea. They know Pharaoh's army is going to get them, and they say to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. You can hear not faith, but sarcasm in their words to him. They certainly despaired of Moses in that moment. And they were made to despair of themselves. And what I want you to see is that despair in themselves of being able to do anything about their predicament was actually really good for them. What they had, all they had was God. And God showed up for them. Verse 13 in Exodus 14, Moses said to the people, fear not. This is his response. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. For the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. I don't know if it's too harsh to say he said, shut up and watch. But certainly that's the effect of what he was saying. The Lord will do for you, he says, what you cannot possibly do for yourself. Just watch him do it. 
And then at verse 21 in that story, Moses stretched his hand out over the sea as the Lord commanded him. And the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night. And he made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. This is the great saving miracle of the Old Testament. God rescues his helpless people. Now, a few words about the miracle. Notice the miracle. The walls divide, the waters, I should say, divided into walls on either side of them. The seabed was dry. I hope that you're not a miracle denier reinterpreting these events in naturalistic terms. Many have sought to do so, imputing perhaps ignorance to ancient unscientific people as if they didn't know water doesn't wall up and create a tunnel through which you may walk. Uh, No, there was no simple naturalistic explanation. Certainly the Lord used nature to do the miraculous. There's a liberal preacher who didn't believe in miracles and he was preaching on this, told his congregation, no, 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 the Red Sea, it was just a shallow River, maybe a foot deep or so, and with a driving wind pushing it. I mean, it was just a few inches of water, no big deal. And set a man from the balcony, praise God. These were not Presbyterians, you understand. Maybe a little more charismatic than some of you. Praise God, the man said. All, God drowned all Pharaoh's army in a foot of water. Yeah. No, 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 there's a lot of water here. It says the seabed was dry, not muddy. It's a very specific word. It was dry. They walked through it. You can imagine if it was a natural occurring thing, that seabed would be wet for days. Can you imagine the mud? But no, dry land. Now, if you deny the miraculous intervention of God... You might as well, frankly, just ripped page after page out of the Bible, even book after book out of the Bible. When I was in college, to make this point, uh, a campus ministry I was involved in invited an internationally famous magician named Andre Cole, or Kroll, uh, to come to campus on behalf of the campus ministry. And he was an exceptional magician. He was also a Christian, so he was going to do a presentation of magic and then he was going to talk afterwards he's the magician who created the illusion of making the statue of liberty disappear before people's eyes and he sold it to david copperfield who actually performed it and this was no slouch in fact at the show i was watching andre kroll walked on water he walked on a tank of water. I have no idea how he did it. It was incredible. But he came out after the show, and while he didn't tell us how he did what he did, he did say this, that he had come to believe in the miracles of Jesus in part because he recognized um, that to do many of the miraculous things that Jesus did, they couldn't be tricks or illusions or deceptions. Some people have tried to say that. I mean, a good magician could do some of the kinds of things that Jesus did not. All of the things, certainly not rising from the dead. But he said, you know what it would take? It would take two semi-trucks full of equipment 
following Jesus around everywhere he went to create the illusion of these miracles. And as you may recall, 18-wheelers were on short supply in the days of Jesus. Now, the miracles of Jesus are miracles. The miracles of the Old Testament are miracles. And the miracle at the Red Sea was a supernatural intervention of God to rescue his people. He opened a way of escape, and they took it. Now, what do you expect them to do? I mean, they're not going to hang around and get slaughtered by the Egyptians, right? They had no other option, and so they took the option God gave them. He opened the sea. He said, go forward. You can imagine some of them began to sort of tiptoe forward a little bit. You go first, brother. Exodus 14, 22, and they went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. The waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Now, you could argue that doesn't seem like a whole lot of faith. But it is faith. What little faith God sees as real and genuine faith. They had nowhere else to go. They had no other way of escape. So they did what the Lord told them to do. And it was faith. Um, Some of you have seen the movie, I think it's late 80s perhaps, Lean on Me. It's the story of a school teacher and a principal out in California, I think. Um, And they have a student named Thomas Sams who um, has gotten himself into a world of trouble. And at one point, the principal or the teacher takes him up to the third story window and he, he walks him to the window and then he looks at him and he says, jump. And the student is a little surprised. What did you say? I said, jump. He's, I said, or the principal said, you've been messing around with drugs, gangs, the wrong crowd. You might as well end it now. That's where you're headed. Jump. Sam's decided in that moment to take option B. Stay in school. Go straight. Stay in school. What else could he do given these two options? So starkly put, destruction or salvation, so to speak. One was utterly absurd and the other was reasonable. Israel here, like that, they went through. What else were they going to do? Stay there until the Egyptians cut them down? No way. And so by faith, they went through the Red Sea. Now listen, their faith is not so strange. There are situations like that for us as Christians. You know, in John chapter 6, beginning about verse 65, Jesus has this conversation with his disciples in which he says to them, No one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. No one can come, no one is able to come to me unless it's granted by the Father. And some turned away hearing those, and they no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him this way, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's no other Savior for me. 
Where else am I going to be forgiven? How else am I going to live forever? This is what you have promised. You are the Son of God. You are the Savior of sinners. Uh, It's an expression of faith when you have no other options to trust in the Lord. That's what true faith does. And sometimes God puts us in those circumstances so that that's all that we can do but trust Him. Despair of ourselves, but not despair of Him. Now I mentioned the two dangers that Israel faced. Israel faced all Pharaoh's army. They also, in a sense, faced Pharaoh's own destruction. It says, by faith they went through, verse 29, and the Egyptians were swallowed up. Now, if you remember the story in Exodus chapter 14, this is what happened. Verse 28, the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. And not one of them remained. And it goes on to say, verse 30, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. God rescued them from the tyranny of Pharaoh so they could be shepherded by himself. God rescued them from slavery into freedom from certain death into life. And Pharaoh, seeing them pass through, said to himself something like, if Israel can go through the sea, why can't we? Hunt them down. He gets on the CV. I want you to follow them into the Red Sea. Right? What was he? He was presumptuous. What was he? He was not self-despairing. He was self-reliant. He wasn't trusting God that God would spare his army to go through. He wasn't trusting in the Lord. He was trusting in himself. He presumed on the Lord and he paid for it, he and his army. And so the people feared the Lord, it says. Now this physical exodus was a picture of a greater spiritual exodus to come the greater exodus that has occurred upon the cross on the cross jesus rescues us from the tyranny not of pharaoh but the devil and into the blessing of his lordship so that he can be our shepherd and he rescues us from bondage not to chains in Egypt, but the bondage of sin and death and into the freedom of the children of light. And he rescues us from spiritual death and into eternal life. He does all that in his death and resurrection upon the cross, which he speaks of as his own exodus. And so 1 John chapter 5 says this, whoever has the Son has life whoever does not have the son of god does not have life it's a fearful thing when the lord in his grace and mercy rescues you and you realize what you've been saved from and you realize what you could have received like with pharaoh and his army the very judgment of God instead of rescue. And you might ask yourself, why have I been spared? 
Why have I been spared? Like Israel, whether the saving work at the Red Sea or God's saving work for us from our sins and death and destruction, it's a fearful work. The proper response is to believe and to shudder, to to be reverent and in awe and to be grateful and thankful for receiving a rescue you do not deserve, that you're impotent to bring about for yourself. That's the first point. The second is at the walls of Jericho, verse 30. God's people, we see there, are impotent to secure by themselves their victory. By faith, verse 30, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Again, just a very brief comment. What's it referring to? Joshua chapter 6, the conquest of the land of Canaan. They had an apparently apparently impossible task that they were impotent to complete on their own. They're to go into the promised land and drive out those who dwell there for judgment has come upon after 400 promised years of patience. The Amorites in Canaan are to be driven out and the Israelites have no way to accomplish this on their own. Jericho is a fortress city. Its walls were massive. People were living in the walls. They had built homes into the walls. Some city walls we know from that period of time could be at more than two chariots width wide at the top so that chariots could run around the tops of the walls as part of its protection. It was a frontier fortress city Located at the mouth of the Jordan River in a strategic location, its walls were designed to protect it from the strongest of attacks. And you've got Israel, who has by now wandered 40 years in the wilderness. All they, again, have is the clothing on their back, basically. This ragtag group of people. And they are supposed to enter into what has been promised to them. The promised land, Canaan. But they're going to have to drive out these Canaanites who are living there. And God gives them a plan to do so. They should circle the walls. They are to line up a portion of the army. Then they're to have seven priests blowing seven ram's horns. Then the Ark of the Covenant carried by priests. And then a rear guard of the army, and they are to go around the city once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, they are to encircle the city seven times, and then the priests are to blow the ram's horn, and Joshua's to tell them to shout, and the people are to shout, and the walls of the city are to fall. Joshua chapter 6 verse 5, the Lord said the wall of the city will fall at its place. It's not so much that it falls over flat. It just crumbles where it is. And then they could go through the breach in the walls for their attack. Now this is a strange thing. It's almost ridiculous. We might imagine it as as kind of a childish, uh, uh, strange uh, production, uh, drama, uh, we're we're going we're gonna to send the army around the walls 
right? Out of bow shot, so nobody gets hurt, right? And what are we going to do? We're just going to show them who we are. Well, it's going to be pretty obvious who you are. You're just a bunch of people that have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. you got nothing. We're behind these impregnable walls. We're strong, you can imagine the Canaanites and Jericho saying, and you are weak. And you can imagine the Israelites saying, they're strong and we're weak. We got nothing. You might imagine some of the Israelites saying, you know, a little C4 would work around here. Or what about catapults? Can we get a catapult? But no, no, you just want us to yell. And yet it was the word of the Lord that it should be accomplished this way. So here they are. They're out of Egypt and they're into Canaan, but they have a seemingly insurmountable obstacle keeping them from their enjoyment of the possession of what has been promised to them. It's not in hand for them yet. And that is part of the Christian pilgrimage too in a spiritual way. We are out of the kingdom of darkness. We have entered into the kingdom of light. We have not yet entered into the kingdom of glory and enjoyed all the inheritance that is promised us and is ours in Christ. And this side of that glory, we face many troubles and trials and many problems. There has been a decisive battle won for us upon the cross by the Lord Jesus. And yet, you know, if you're a believer, that there is still a war going on even in your own heart. The flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Satan is still accusing you. Indwelling sin still pulls on you. How are you supposed to live? You're supposed to live like an Israelite. How are they to do that? Well, what were they supposed to learn from this? What's God teaching them through this strange thing and teaching us? He is teaching them at the very beginning of their conquering of Canaan. He is teaching them that if they conquer the land, it was not to their credit. If they conquer the land, it's not because they did something really powerful and effective, but it was because God showed up for them and fought their battle for them, so to speak. They were to, they were to learn that it was not by human power, not by human wisdom, not by human skill but by the power of God so that they could never boast that they had done something to pull it off. They couldn't boast that they had rescued themselves from Egypt. They couldn't boast that they got themselves into the promised land. And the walls came down and they weren't glass walls and these weren't opera singers singing whatever that pitch is that shatters glass. And they weren't Walls, as one person put it, uh, termite infested with stone eating termites. Don't look again for naturalistic, bizarre explanations for what happened here. They just shouted, and God brought the wall down because He promised He would as they trusted in Him.
This is kind of the point that Jesus makes to his people in John chapter 15, verse 5, when he says, Abide in me, for apart from me, you can do nothing. It is only by the power of Christ that we have a way forward in the Christian life. It is only by the power of Christ that we can fight indwelling sin. It is only by his power that our efforts to put sin to death can be effective. That our efforts to see the fruit of the Spirit cultivated in us can actually be effective. In other words, when you are at your wit's end, you are exactly where God wants you as a Christian. So that God can teach you that is not by your strength, but it is by his help that you may live. We're always in a position of dependency. And when we don't think that we are, we're being self-reliant and foolish. The prayer of the Christian is, lead me not into temptation, Lord, but deliver me from evil. Because I'm helpless without you. Lord, help me to love what you love. Help me to hate what you hate. Because I know my divided heart. Lord, help me to love righteousness and hate wickedness. Help me to put sin to death. Help me to die to myself and live for you. Help me to love others as you have loved me. Because I don't do any of that very well by myself. And the fact is you aren't able to do and you're not intended to do any of that all by yourself. Our strength is in our weakness as we trust in the Lord. For apart from Him, we can do nothing. We are impotent. And that's the second lesson, I think. And the third one is this, verse 31. The third lesson is this with Rahab. And it is this, that God's enemies can have peace with God. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient. Because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Lest you think anything unjust was done to Pharaoh. Lest you think anything unjust was done to the Canaanites in Jericho. Rahab is here to tell you that the enemy of God can have peace with God. Be welcomed into the family of God. Have a home among the household of God. But you've got to repent of being his enemy. This is all from Joshua chapter 2 and following. It says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute. Now, uh, some of our ancient Jewish friends had a problem with a female Gentile prostitute becoming a Jew. And so the rabbis taught that, well, no, she wasn't a harlot. She was an innkeeper. But the word is very clear. She was, in fact, a prostitute. This is the reason why the two spies that Joshua sent into the land to spy out the land went into her house. There wouldn't have been much suspicion aroused by two men going into Rahab's house. Men were coming and going all the time. And it would have been a good place for them to pick up information about the kind of people that live there in the temper of the town. And Rahab... Knowing who these men are, in Joshua chapter 2, verses 10 to 11, says this, We have heard, she says, how the Lord dried up the, the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. That was 40 years ago. 
And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, or Yahweh your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. You understand, she heard what Yahweh had done. She believed, she confessed her faith in Him that He is the God who is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And then she appeals to that. In light of that, verse 12, Joshua 2. Now then, please swear to me by Yahweh that that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign. That you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. I want you to save me and my whole family. And she staked her life on the fact that God had said he would save and protect his people, give them the land. And she wanted to be on their side when he did it. They had heard, she says, of the people of Israel and the God of Israel. Their hearts, she says, had melted. They quaked in fear, but instead of embracing Israel with open arms and a welcome, they had dug in their position. They were unwelcoming and it says they perished because they were disobedient. It was for sin, in other words, that they were judged. But not Rahab. Her actions, even more than her words, show her faith, right? She did not perish, it says, with the disobedient since she received the spies in peace. So that when the Jericho police came and they inquired you know, who were those men you met with? She hid them in stalks of flax. She protected them, and then she helped them get safely out of the city. It was her actions that revealed the genuineness of her faith. Her faith bore fruit. But the thing you can't get around is the person who's bearing such fruit. It is pointedly In Joshua and in Hebrews, Rahab, the prostitute, a Gentile Canaanite prostitute, by faith, she didn't perish. So when Israel came into the land and took Jericho, Joshua 6.25, they spared her and her whole family and brought them out. And she and they lived and dwelled among the people of God. And what you have here is an example of God's amazing grace, even to his enemies. That happens again and again as our hearts are melted by the gospel. There was a man called uh, Staffordshire Bill. Staffordshire Bill was drinking himself drunk in a workman's pub on a Sunday afternoon in a village where he was well-known, and he was such a foul-mouthed, nasty, filthy, unpleasant guy that not even the pagan, raunchy crowd liked to be around him. And so he was drinking himself drunk all by himself 
in the pub because nobody cared for him. And one Sunday afternoon, he was drinking, and at a table nearby, there were two or three other guys drinking and talking, and he heard one of them say, I was there last Sunday night, and the preacher said there was nobody without hope. He said there is hope for everybody. And that somehow stuck in Staffordshire Bill's brain, and he determined to go to the chapel that next Sunday night, the first time... He couldn't work up the nerve to go inside, so he stood outside for a little while, and then he went home. And the next Sunday, he arrived, and they had already started the service, and he could hear the singing, but he went away. And then the third Sunday, he showed up, arrived, waited outside, debating with himself, should I go in or not? And one of the men there said, Bill, come on in. Come sit with me. And so he did. And Staffordshire Bill realized that he could understand things that were being said and preached and that night in his heart he believed the gospel and his heart was flooded with the peace of the gospel and he um, afterwards uh, the man he was sitting with took him outside to introduce him around and introduced him to the pastor's wife and said this is Staffordshire Bill and he got the most anguished agonized look on his face and he said oh no oh no It's a bad old name for a bad old man. My name is William Thomas now. No one would have thought that Staffordshire Bill would be found any place but at a table drinking himself silly. You wouldn't think that the grace of God would touch a man like that. You wouldn't think the grace of God would touch a Gentile Canaanite prostitute. But by faith, she did not perish. She was incorporated into the people of Israel. And furthermore, she married a prince in Israel. And she had a son named Boaz who married a Midianite woman named Ruth and from them came Obed and Jesse and King David and King David's greater son King of Kings Lord Jesus himself you meet Rahab in the fifth verse of the New Testament because God delights to be gracious to his enemies who repent and say save me rescue me have me. And that God brought you that same grace. Maybe not from the same place in life, I get it. But that same grace, grace encircled you and brought you into his kingdom. And he didn't blush when he did so. And he isn't, he isn't embarrassed to have you in his family. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, by faith, An enemy of God did not perish, and by faith, you may have life everlasting through faith in Jesus. Just trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace in Jesus to all who trust in him, and I pray that you would give to us what our heart And sinful hearts can't even conjure up itself. And that is to trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Let's stand and sing and pray.